In several recent episodes of Redeeming the Chaos, we have been talking about trusting God with our kids' hearts. But what happens when our kids' needs feel like more than we can handle? How do we trust God when parenting a child with special needs? That's what we're going to talk about on today's episode of Redeeming the Chaos. I'm your host, Laurie Christine. I'm a mom of four boys, an author, a Bible teacher, and a certified biblical parenting coach. This is the podcast for moms who may feel a bit frazzled and overwhelmed by the responsibility of raising boys. If you want your boys to grow up to be strong, courageous young men who are fully committed to following Jesus, this show is for you. I would love for you to join me on this wild, wonderful, chaotic adventure of raising courageous boys and connecting their hearts to Christ. So we have a special guest on the show today who is going to talk with us about trusting God on the journey of raising a child with special needs. Allison Bixby has been a college writing professor for 15 years and recently received her certification as a journaling instructor from the Therapeutic Writing Institute. She inspires women to experience the powerful, life-giving practice of journaling. She's a monthly contributor to The Glorious Table. She is an intern with Ann Voskamp, and she maintains her own blog, Writing is Cheaper Than Therapy. She's married to her husband, Ben, and has three amazing kids, three dogs, and too many chickens. Allison Bixby, welcome to Redeeming the Chaos. Thanks. I'm really excited to be here. So... Allison and I used to attend church together a long time ago. I don't know. How many years have you been down in South Carolina now? We've been back in South Carolina for six years. Yeah. So six years ago, Allison and I lived in the same town, attended the same church for about four years. And that's how I got to know her originally. And I'm just excited to have her here on the show with us today. So Allison, just tell us a little bit about your family, the ages and genders of your kids, things like that. Yep. So I am married to Ben, who is a discipleship pastor. We just celebrated our 13th wedding anniversary, and we have three kiddos. Reed is our oldest, and he is 12. And so we're in the middle school years now. Lucas is nine, and Ansley is our youngest, who, and she is seven. And we live in Columbia, South Carolina. And I think the current chicken count is 18. Oh, my word. That's a lot of chickens. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> So we are talking today about raising kids with special needs. I shared a couple of weeks ago about my son who had a, a physical diagnosis when he was a baby. And your son, he was born with a, a, a very special need. So tell us a little bit about, about the diagnosis that he has. Yeah. So typically a human being has 46 chromosomes and that's when things kind of go normally and typically. But when Reed was being formed in the womb, he ended up with three extra chromosomes on his 46th chromosome pair. And when you get some extra chromosomes, it just creates some interesting dynamics and, and kind of across the board. So the nickname for his disorder is they call them 49ers because they have 49 chromosomes, not to be confused with the football team. But the, the string of letters and numbers that the scientific community uses don't make a lot of sense or ring any bells for most people. So we typically just refer to it as 49ers. But some intellectual disability, learning difficulties, a speech disorder. There's some physical issues, especially when he was younger. He dealt with pneumonia a lot. So in and out of the hospital a good bit as a little kid. Seems to be growing out of that, which is awesome. 
some emotional things, a lot of anxiety, as you might imagine. The world is not necessarily built for somebody like Reed and the challenges that he has. So it creates a lot of anxiety, which just can come out in emotional ways. And so that's kind of the big piece that as a middle schooler, especially we're navigating with him. And as he becomes more aware of the differences between him and some of his peers and and all of that, you know, it kind of pulls those emotional pieces up a little bit more. I love what you said in, I was reading one of your blog posts and it said that this disorder doesn't define him. It simply explains some things about him. And I would love to hear what are some of the things that most people don't see on the surface. Like if they first meet him, they might see his diagnosis up front. But what are some things that you see behind the scenes that just make him who he is that you just love about his personality? Yeah, he loves to make people laugh. That's probably his favorite thing. And sometimes he's a little mischievous in making people laugh, but he loves to crack a good joke. He loves to tease people. And so that piece of his personality, oftentimes you don't see unless you kind of get behind the scenes with Reed and get him one-on-one. He is an incredibly generous kid. Of my three, he's probably the most generous. So if he has candy or a toy and you want some, all you have to do is say, hey, Reed, can I have some? And he is more than willing to share and to offer it up. And that's a really cool thing to see about him. And he loves to read. He loves to sit down with a good book and be read to or to, you know, share a book with us. And um, you really get to see those sides of read when it when you're one on one with him, because there's less chaos (laughs) around. (laughs) And that's a lot easier for him to deal with. And so those are the pieces we we get to see at home most often where especially if his siblings aren't around. <laughs> it's a little less chaotic and and it's a little quieter for him. And he's just a sweet kid. He's a smart kid and a lot of fun to be around. That's awesome. So you learned about Reed's diagnosis when he was what, about like a year old, I think it was? Yep. Just shy of about a month shy of his first birthday. Okay. And I remember, I think that were you guys in Lancaster at the time? We had been in Lancaster for three weeks Oh my goodness! when we got his diagnosis. So newly moved about 600 miles from everybody and everything we knew oh my goodness. in this strange new land of Lancaster. <laughs> oh, wow. That was such a hard time, I'm sure. I remember you sharing at our church in a women's Bible study, and I remember you just kind of sharing about his diagnosis and some of the struggles that you were, were facing, and and our, our son at the time was a year old as well. And he had just, he had been through two heart surgeries and had another one coming up. And I just remember thinking like, I want to get to know this girl. Like I, I, I feel like we can connect with our, our boys a little bit. And I think she would be a good friend. So, so tell me a little bit about when you first found out about Reed's diagnosis, what were some of the struggles that you dealt with at the, at the very beginning? So initially, I think the very first kind of overwhelming wave of grief that settled in was this is not going to be the parenting journey I pictured in my mind. Mm -hmm. And I'm an idealist at heart. So I see the potential and what can be. And I get really excited about that. And I think there's expectations because you look around and you see other people with that ideal version, or at least what you think is the ideal version of what you expect. And all of a sudden, I realize that's not going to be our reality. And I, I remember my very first thought was, 
man, Ben and I may never be empty nesters. Hmm. We might be caretakers our whole lives because there's just a, a spectrum of ways this, all of this can play out and a lot of question marks and unknowns and unknowns are hard. I'm somebody, if I, if I know what the issue is, if I know what to expect, then I can go after it. But when there's so many question marks, it was really hard uh, because there weren't a lot of answers. There weren't, I, I couldn't, I couldn't say, well, I can at least expect X, Y, and Z. I just had to be really comfortable with a whole lot of unknowns and mystery. And that was, for my personality, that was really hard. It felt very unstable. What were some things that encouraged you during that time or, or support networks or things that, that you kind of clung to, to, to get through that time? People who just loved Reed for being the, the little baby that he was, that it didn't matter to them. They're, they weren't always asking, well, why isn't he walking yet? Or why isn't he talking? Or, you know, they didn't have all the questions that even I didn't have answers for, but instead they just loved him because he was a cute kid and he was, you know, he was fun to be around and they loved our family and they just loved without any kind of bias or prejudice. That that was such a huge support. And I found that through people like you and other people at our church at the time. My family, of course, was super supportive. I remember a friend of mine, she was my college roommate and we've just continued to be friends for a long time. And she said to me, she wrote to me one day, she's like, you know, She's like, I really don't see Reed as anything more and anything less. Oh, and I might start crying. Mm. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. I don't, I don't see Reed as anything more or anything less than just a really special piece of you. Mm. And so people who could just reframe for me that, yeah, we were facing some challenges and some questions and some difficult things. But in the end, he was a kid worth loving and he was special and words are my love language. So of course, the things that people said to me were really meaningful and, and supportive. That was really encouraging. And actually, the, the thing you read from my blog about this disorder doesn't define him, it just explains some things about him. That actually came from a genetic counselor who didn't know us, but she was tasked with the job of explaining his disorder to us. And she was so kind. I don't remember her name. We probably talked for 30 minutes on the phone. So a complete stranger, but we're talking through all the things and we get to the end of the conversation and she's like, you know, this just explains some things about him, but it doesn't define him. And I kind of camped on that, you know, that he is more than just the number of chromosomes he has. Oh, that's so encouraging. What a blessing to that God put that lady in your life and just the understanding that she had to to recognize that he is so much more than just a label or just a diagnosis. And I think that that some families get very intimidated when they're first starting out on the journey of a child with special needs, that the label is often intimidating because they don't want that to happen. They don't want him to just be defined by that label, or they don't want people to just assume, oh, this is who he is now. In what ways do you think that having that diagnosis, like knowing what his diagnosis was, how was that actually beneficial and helpful for you guys? You know, it answered the question of what are we dealing with? Because we because we didn't get that diagnosis until he was almost a year old, we knew probably from the time he was about three or four months old that something was not quite going 
the typical way it goes for babies. He wasn't hitting milestones and he was, ha- he was actually labeled failure to thrive because he wasn't gaining weight and we were having trouble with feeding. And so there were lots of questions around what's going on, what's behind all of this. And our pediatrician actually recommended the genetic test more as a, let's just cross this off our list. Mm. We're not going to find anything. Mm. <laughs> um, and lo and behold, we did. We found something, but it gave us it gave us the knowledge we needed to know what we were dealing with and that there was a reason behind what was happening and what we were seeing, which enabled us to get read the support services he needed. I mean, we started physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, just the whole gamut of things. And then as he got a little bit older as a toddler, he went to Schreiber's preschool program up there in Lancaster. And so having that having that diagnosis just helped us access what we needed to to start down that road of helping him reach his best potential. And it was relieving as much as it was daunting. It was relieving to be like, okay, this thing has a name. There are other, it's rare. It's one in a hundred thousand live male births rare. (laughs) So there's not a ton of people, maybe a hundred families worldwide identified, but to even know that there were other people that were walking, had walked this road was super helpful and encouraging to know that we weren't alone. There are people who really literally understood the road we were walking. And ultimately we are wanting to get our kids the support that they need, whether it's this diagnosis or a label or whatever it is, I think you're absolutely right that having answers, knowing, yes, this is these are the specific things that kids with this diagnosis typically deal with, then you can pursue the help that that your kids need. I know with my oldest son, he also struggles, in addition to his heart condition, he struggles with some emotional and social issues. And just knowing that we can get him the help that he needs is comforting as well. I know that your faith was probably strengthened and challenged and tested during all of that time. And I know at the beginning, probably it was just lots of questions of doubting God, maybe doubting his goodness. What are some of the things that over the years, as you have grown with Reed and as he has grown, what are some of the ways that you've seen God's grace and his strength in your in your life over the years with Reed. You're right. There were a lot of questions in the beginning, a lot of having to work through can I trust God through this? Because I think in all of us is the tendency to think if I do X, Y, and Z, if I follow the rules, if I do the right things, then things turn out the way that I expect. And that's not how life or even how God works. And so our journey with Reed has continually been an invitation from God to trust and to trust more deeply, to embrace the hard, not to run from it, not to sweep it under the rug, but to know that it's actually in that hard stuff that God meets us and shows us how much he's with us. It's taught me, you know, I'm a planner. I like to know what's coming and have it all figured out. But being a mom to a kiddo with special needs has taught me that I really can only take it a day at a time. Sometimes people will ask me, well, have you thought about this point in Reed's future, whatever. And I'm like, I can't, I can't cross that bridge. It's too overwhelming. I have to stay right here in this present moment and know that I have 
and I have God's grace and it's sufficient for right here, right now. And I can only trust that it's going to continue to meet me with whatever the challenges are as we continue to walk life with Reed and kind of figure out, figure out what's going on. And I think another thing, this has been a really big one. God doesn't owe us a normal or typical path. It's not something that he owes us. And there's can be such beauty in a very unexpected path that God can bring so much beauty and grace and mercy and good things, even in the unexpected story that he's writing and learning to look for that, look for those things has been a blessing that I don't know outside of read. I would have, I would have learned. That's so good. There's so many good points that you just mentioned. The one thing, just trusting God in the moment, one day at a time, you know, God gives us grace for today. And I think a lot of times when we try to claim God's grace for the future, that's when anxiety comes in and we start asking questions like, well, what if, how are we going to handle this? What happens when he's an adult? I was just having a conversation with my oldest son today. You're going to need to be able to take care of yourself when you are an adult. You're going to need to be responsible. And I just was feeling anxiety about how is he going to handle life? on his own someday. But yeah, just taking one day at a time. Okay, we're going to trust God today in this moment. And that's the only time that we can have God's grace. You know, we know that God's grace will be there in the future, but we can't claim that yet. We can only, we can only use it one day at a time. And God doesn't owe us a normal path is so, so profound. And I think that we believe that sometimes we get upset and we get frustrated with God because we think that he owes us what we perceive as a normal life, a normal, like for our kids, like a normal path for our kids even. And, and I think that's a good, a good reminder as moms that God does meet us in those hard times. And he meets our kids in those hard times. We as moms want to protect our kids from going through anything difficult. We want to protect them from hardship. We want to protect them from bullying. We want to protect them from anything, you know, but, but God might be using those hard things in our kids' lives to bring them closer to himself. So that's, that's just a really good reminder. Thank you for, for sharing those things with us. I'm curious just about, just on a practical level, I'm curious just about family dynamics. I know kids with special needs who have siblings. I know sometimes the siblings often struggle and are just not sure how to deal with the sibling with the the brother with a with a special need or or don't understand well how come he gets to do this and I don't or how come he didn't get a consequence for that action when I do like those kinds of things so just tell us a little bit about that yeah that's a great question and as you were talking I'm shaking my head yes because everything you're saying I'm like yep that's been a reality our our middle son Luke he is really smart, really observant, and really cares about people and relationships. But it's really been in the last year or two that a lot of those questions have come up of, you know, you you have more expectations for me than you do of Reed. And it's hard to explain to a nine-year-old. It's like, mm, I have different expectations. And there's real reasons for that. And we've had conversations about, you know, um, Reed is 
Reed's brain works a little bit differently than than some people's do. And so some things are harder and more challenging for him. And and I tell my kids all the time, you know, my job as your mom is not to make things fair or equal. I, it's not my mission and I can't do that. But what I want to do is meet you where you are and help you thrive in the in the places you you're at and in the person who God's created you to be. And that's that's going to look different. But there have certainly been those days of where he's been really frustrated and he sees it's amazing what we don't think kids see. <laughs> and then they say something you're like, Oh, you've been watching. You do understand the differences, even not just the difference in the fact that your brother has special needs, but in the differences in how we parent. And even as a parent, it's really hard to know sometimes to what level do I hold my son with special needs accountable for what he just did. Because one of the things we know from research on his disorder is that these kids tend to have very low impulse control. Like that part of their brain is incredibly underdeveloped. And he, so Reed doesn't premeditate and calculate things. He just does them. And then afterwards is super remorseful. And so how do you handle that? And so when he whacks his brother on the head impulsively, right. like <laughs> like he still needs to know that's not okay, but it's very, it's very different than yes. a yes. kiddo who's like, okay, I know this is wrong. I've learned some self-control. I probably shouldn't do it, but I'm gonna do it anyways. You know, there's just some differences that we that we deal with. But I've, it's been a blessing that our kids, they just roll with the punches. My kids tend to be, I mean, they're normal, typical kids who fuss about things, but they tend to, to roll with things. And they, they've never come to me and said, oh, I wish I didn't have a brother who had special needs. So they've been flexible and loving. And, and sometimes they use it as a, almost a weapon against them. They're like, oh, well, he's got special needs, you know, and then they complain about it in that way. But overall, they're just really flexible and it's their normal. I mean, I think that's one thing for us. Reed was our first. We've never known parenting without special needs. His siblings have never known being a sibling without a sibling who has special needs. And so in some ways, I think that works for us because it just is part of our typical and our normal. And it has its challenges for sure. But I think growing up with a brother who has some significant needs has helped them develop some empathy and compassion that I know for me as a kid, I didn't really develop because I didn't really know people with special needs. It wasn't a part of my experience growing up. We didn't have close family friends that I saw that with or anything. And so it was special needs was a whole new world when I became a mama to somebody who had the who had special needs. And so I watched my kids just developing empathy and compassion. And that's a really beautiful thing. And it's not to say they don't get frustrated with them. <laughs> but I do see that as something God's growing in them. Yeah. And I have heard that from so many moms of children with special needs that the siblings even though it's so hard sometimes and you just want to protect your other kids from having to deal with those struggles sometimes, but God is working in their hearts. And yeah, that empathy is being developed and they're just growing in, you know, how to deal with someone that's different than you or how to deal with someone that's super annoying. Or I tell my kids all the time, look, you're going to deal with people all your life that are annoying. And that doesn't give you the right to hit them just because they annoy you. <laughs> right. Or to yell at them or to throw something at them or, you know, whatever yeah. it is you want to do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I definitely think that it, that it builds character in, in the other siblings as well. So I know a lot of our listeners 
either have a child with special needs or they may know a family with kids that have special needs. So what advice would you give to our families who want to be a support, who want to be an encouragement to families with special needs? What are some ways that you have felt supported? Maybe some things not to do as well, like ways that, you know, that people are very well-meaning, but it just, you know, just isn't helpful. Some of those kinds of things. What are some, some ways that our listeners can support friends who have children with special needs? Oh, that's such a good question. I think the first thing for me that comes to mind is to include the child with special needs. So, you know, we have lots of families at our church that we're friends with, who have kids in close proximity age-wise to ours. And I think sometimes because people don't know what would it look like for Reed to come along and do this thing with our kids and our family? There's some hesitancy, like, and maybe feelings of like, I don't know if I'm prepared for that, or I feel inadequate with that, or, or, or things along those lines. So I've always really loved the families who've just stepped up and said, hey, we want Reed to be a part of this too. Like, tell me what we need to know. And that they come with questions and not assumptions. And I think one thing we have working in our favor is most people know that Reed's diagnosis is really rare. So most people don't assume they understand it or know it. But I think that also can create a barrier where people are like, I'm not sure how to engage. And I love nothing more than when somebody asks me, you know, what what would work? How could he be more a part of this? What could we do to support him and help him play with the other kids and, and be a part of things? And, and to not freak out when there's a challenging behavior that crops up because it's it's going to happen. Like I can almost guarantee you in a social setting, there's going to be some challenging behavior. And it's really helpful to me when people don't freak out about that. And they just look to me and say, all right, what do we need to do? How can we help? What, you know, that sort of thing. And I think everybody's a little bit different in terms of what triggers them that people do that they think is helpful, but it's not. But I know from, I can speak for me, very well-meaning people have said to me on occasion things like, God just knew you were the perfect parents for Reed. And it's like, oh, you're kind of saying I drew the short straw. Like that's that's really kind of the negative way to say that, you know, like, man, what did, what did I do to deserve atypical? And so it's I think it's meant to be an affirmation of who I am as a person and they know that I can I can handle it. But the truth is, you know, most days I don't feel like I can handle it. I don't feel like I'm equipped and I'm not a perfect parent. And I think I would much rather somebody say, I, I know what you guys are carrying is heavy. Can I, what can I pray for? Or how can I come alongside of you? That That's more encouraging to me than somebody trying to like kind of explain God's mystery of, of why, why little boys grow up with genetic disorders, you know, why some do and some don't and, and all of that. And I don't think we, we ever know the why and I'm okay with the mystery. And so some, some of the more cliche trite things that people like to say it in an effort to comfort are the things that I'm just kind of like, eh, that's not, that's not ideal for me. Yeah. So. No, I think that's, I think that's really good. I, I think even as like I have four boys and people say to me often, oh, well, God knew that you would be a great boy, mom. People think, oh, well, God knew that you could handle that. I'm like, no, I can't handle it. And I'm pretty sure God knew that I couldn't handle it as well. And that's probably the whole point that God wants me to rely on him every day. You know, I can't handle these four crazy 
loud voice and God wants me to to cling to him. And I think it's the same situation with any child with special needs that God will equip you with what you need, but it's not because, you know, you had any special abilities that he said, oh, I'm going to pick her because she is really good at handling chaotic situations. <laughs> yeah. And a, another one that I've heard that people will say, and I think they're just trying again to offer empathy and connection. They'll say, oh, I couldn't do that. Mm, yep. And I'm like, you you can when you have to. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm, that's just the reality. You know, you may not want to, but you can because God's grace is sufficient and you're not going to do it. You wouldn't do it perfectly. Nobody does it perfectly. And, but you can. And sometimes you don't have a choice, you know, like you don't get to pick whether you can or can't do it. You just do it. <laughs> I'm not some super strong human that, you know, can just figure it all out. But I am somebody that can rely on God. And that's true for any of us who follow Christ, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I loved what you said about asking questions versus making assumptions. I think that is so important. And I think oftentimes people are hesitant to ask questions. They think somebody might be offended. They think, oh, maybe we shouldn't mention that there's a disability or maybe we shouldn't because they might be offended. But I mean, it's not like you don't know. It's not like you don't know that your own child has these issues. I think you would much rather engage in a conversation and have someone ask intelligent, thoughtful questions than just to make assumptions or not talk about it at all. It's like the elephant in the room and nobody wants to talk about it. And I think when you talked about behaviors, like in a social situation, um, I think one of the biggest things that that people can do is to not judge those behaviors because kids with special needs have behaviors that aren't always typical for a kid their age. And looking at, and a lot of times like my son looks like a typical 12 year old. Actually, he looks like he could be 15. And sometimes his behaviors don't line up with what most people assume that he should be doing or should be capable of. And a lot of times that judgment turns back on the parent. At least I internalize it. Like, yes. What do they think about me? What do they think about my parenting? And then I feel like I have to defend myself. Have you ever experienced that where you're just trying to care for your son? do what's best for him, but struggling with like, what do people think of my parenting? Do they think I'm a terrible mom because he's acting this way? <laughs> oh, a hundred percent, especially in situations where maybe I don't know people super well, or they don't know us really well. And I feel like I may be getting the side eye because they expect me to respond to him one way. But I know that that typical response is not <laughs> going to work. It's not how we need to parent him. But I feel this need to explain and justify my choices or and and even in some of some weaker moments feeling choosing to parent in the way I think other people are expecting just so that I feel like it's going to smooth it over if I if I do that and I think something else I've seen too is people will talk to me about Reed with Reed standing right beside me and so they make assumptions that he doesn't understand what you're saying he can't communicate for himself and um but that's a terrible assumption to make about somebody you don't know. And I always try to encourage people. They'll ask me, well, what is Reed? Blah, 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 blah. I don't know. Reed, do you want the vanilla cake or the chocolate cake? You know, and, and some people don't 
just don't know what he's capable of, how he's capable of engaging, but I'd rather them not make assumptions and treat him as if he's not even there and just go directly to me. It's like, well, try it out. Ask him a question. See where it goes. You know, he's, you're not going to break him. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's so good. So how would you encourage our moms listening who do have a child with special needs and might be feeling discouraged or overwhelmed? What are some words of encouragement that you would have for those moms? I think the way that I encourage myself is that reminder that God is with me. And if I can start looking for God's loving kindness, even when I'm overwhelmed, even when even when it feels really difficult, I've never not found evidence of God's loving kindness in a situation, in a difficulty, in a season of hard when I've looked for it. And I don't know if that sounds like a Sunday school answer, but literally it's sometimes the only thing that keeps me from spiraling down. So one example, I always tell people, I joke that I married my husband so I could have redheaded babies because my husband is a ginger. And Reed is our only true redhead. And I remember one, one day was really hard and I was really struggling with things that were going on with Reed and the weight of it. And it was like the Holy Spirit nudged me and he was like, look at his hair. And I know that sounds so simple, but it was enough to be reminded that Reed's a gift. He's my redheaded baby. So I j- just look for the small gifts. That That's what often keeps me tethered to God and tethered to his goodness and to the reality that God sees me and he sees you and he, he, he's not indifferent to the difficulty. He knows the weight that we carry. That's really good. Have there been any scripture passages that have, that you've kind of clung to that have been an encouragement to you? There's two that come to mind. One is Psalm 27, 13. I'm confident that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living which really kind of ties into that idea of looking for God's goodness. And then also, this one might feel a little strange, but in the creation story, when God creates things and he looks out and what does he say? He says, and it's good. And I I think that God's looking at our family. He's looking at Reed and he's saying, and it's good. It may not look good by the world's standards, but it's good. God's goodness doesn't always look the way we want it to or the way we think that it should. The verse that says his ways are higher than our ways. And that's always a good, like it's a good thing. His thoughts are so much greater than our thoughts. And he knows what goodness is. He is good. He is the ultimate good. And so he gets to decide what is good in our lives. That's that's great. Well, Allison, we are almost out of time, but I want to hear about your journaling. I know that you are a prolific blogger and a journaler, and I'm going to have links in the show notes to Allison's blog because I know you guys will be so encouraged by just reading her words. And I would like to hear a little bit more about how journaling has specifically helped you on your journey of just processing 
life processing, reads diagnosis. Your blog is called Writing is Cheaper Than Therapy. And I love that because that is so true. So tell us a little bit about why you came up with that and how just how journaling has been therapeutic in your life. I will try and keep this concise, but (laughs) I've written my whole life. Like as soon as somebody taught me how to put pen to paper or pencil to paper, I've been writing things down. But it really wasn't until my 30s when we started on this journey with Reed that God started to show me the healing nature of writing. Before that, writing was just a way of kind of getting thoughts on paper and documenting things. And I, I, in my 20s, especially wrote out a lot of my prayers and those were good things. But when I was so overwhelmed in the beginning with Reed's diagnosis, writing became my outlet. And sometimes when you're in difficulties, it's better to laugh than to cry. And that phrase, writing is cheaper than therapy, just kind of landed in my lap. And I was like, that's it. I'm starting a blog. And that's what we're going to name it. Not as a dig on therapy. I've been in therapy. I I have a counselor. So there's a lot of value there. But those words made me laugh. And I really needed to laugh in that time. So it kind of was one of those tethers to some lightness. Um, But they're also true that Sometimes healing is as simple as writing things down, and I think it's often overlooked. And so as I started to journal and to write through Reed's diagnosis and the path we're walking with him, I started to notice that God was using writing to infuse hope and to rewrite our story with his goodness. And I just, I can remember being like, this is, this is powerful. And I didn't realize how powerful it was until... I was using it as as a means to process and and to heal. And, you know, I think when you are walking the road of being a mom or a dad to somebody with special needs, this is ongoing. This is lifelong. I, I will never graduate from the role of being a mom to somebody with special needs. And I've got to have a way to continually process and that's what journaling has has been for me because my mind tends to just create ruts and loops of thoughts and I get stuck and I start spiraling. But when I can put it on paper, it's a place to put it. It's a safe place to put it. It's a way to to look and see what what my thoughts are, what's not true about what I'm thinking, what is true about what I'm thinking. It's a way to see the work of God in my life tangibly. I can look at that piece of paper. I can go back to a journal six months ago and, and point to where I was and, and and here's what God's done since then and how he's grown and changed us. And so it's kind of done all of those things for me. That's awesome. I know that you also, so you recently received a certification from the Therapeutic Writing Institute as a journaling instructor. So tell us a little bit about that. I know you have some courses. If any of our listeners are interested in learning about journaling, maybe that sounds intimidating to you. Maybe you're like, I'm not a writer. I couldn't write anything. You know, maybe you just kind of want to explore this idea of journaling as a way to process. You know, it's not just a record of, dear diary, today I woke up and ate breakfast. And, you know, like it's, it can be so much more than that. I, would love to hear a little bit about those classes that you offer. Yep. So about 
a year and a half ago in a midnight Google search, I was just thinking like, how can I help other people? How can I learn more about why journaling is healing? Like that was my question. I love learning. I love learning new things. And so I was like, I've seen that this is true, but why is it true? And so I started Googling just to see what I could find. And I landed at the Therapeutic Writing Institute's website. And I was like, I have found my people. They study why and how about journaling. This is amazing. And I discovered they had a certification process to help you learn how to help other people. And so I started down that path and I offer um, classes and workshops and events. One of the things I do is called Art of Journaling. It's a four-week class where we do a deep dive into 12 different journaling techniques. And if you're anything like me, prior to learning these techniques, I thought of journaling as I just show up, write down my thoughts and move on with my day. But I know that's really hard for some people who don't think of themselves as writers to engage the page. And so these strategies, these techniques I've learned give you some structure and some parameters for showing up to the page. I've had people take this class who have told me, I've never journaled a day in my life. I'm not a writer, but my friend drug me here. So <laughs> what can you teach me? And those, some of those people are the ones who've just walked away. I think like with the the biggest light bulb moments of I really can use journaling as a tool for my own mental wellness. I can use it as a tool to process and I don't have to be, you know, some lifelong writer with all this experience. You can fire your English teacher that's like in your mind telling you like, you've got to put a period here. Like it doesn't matter because it's your journal. So anyways, that's, that's one of the classes that I offer and I do it in person. I do it virtually as well. And I also do something called Saturday Pages. It's a weekly virtual Zoom event, and it is open to anybody that wants to join. We gather for 30 minutes on Saturday mornings from 9 to 9.30 Eastern time, and I do a little brief welcome. I offer a prompt. Everybody does their writing, and we have about five to seven minutes of conversation on the back end. Some people will share, oh, I wrote this, and they'll read it. But some people just say, well, here's how it went for me. And they kind of talk about their process. And that's a lot of fun. I love it. It's just a great way to kick off the weekend and help people remember to journal if they have that appointment, because that's a challenge. Some people are like, how do I make time for this? So I'm, I'm trying to create not just the know-how, but also the spaces for people to show up and do some journaling. And I will attest that I participated in that Saturday Pages journaling class a couple of different times. And I thought it was really good. I wasn't entirely sure what to expect, but it was it was really good. And it was helpful to just have that space and time. Like Allison said, I shut that door and I told everybody, don't bother me. I'm going to be doing this little journaling activity. And, and I was surprised at just how I was able to process things. And, and I am a journaler. I do journal quite a bit, but I often don't go with a prompt at all. I often write out prayers. I often write out just what's on my heart, things that I'm processing, that kind of stuff. But I did appreciate having a specific prompt because it kind of forced me into thinking in a different way or to looking at journaling in a different way. So, so that was really good. So Allison, if anyone is interested in learning more about your journaling classes, I know your blog, I'll have a link to your blog, which is writing is cheaper than therapy. Where can they get in touch with you to find out more about those things? Yeah. So I have a calendar page at my at my blog. So writing is cheaper than therapy.com 
slash calendar. And I keep that updated with all of my upcoming events. And when you go to the calendar, you can click on an event and it will take you to a description of what the event is, whether it's in person or virtual, whether there's cost or not, because I offer a mix of things that are for, for fee and then some things that are free. So it'll give you all the details. That's kind of the where I send people so that they can stay in the know because what I offer is is changing regularly just in terms of timing and venue and those types of things. So it's kind of the most up-to-date place you can go to find out what's going on. Okay, awesome. Well, I will have links to your website in the show notes and that calendar page and Allison, it has been so great chatting with you today. We just really appreciate you coming and sharing your heart and just being vulnerable and talking about Reed and his diagnosis. And I just know our listeners are going to be really encouraged by everything that you had to say. So thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was so much fun to reconnect in this way. I hope you were encouraged by my dear friend, Allison. I know that I was. You can connect with Allison on her blog, writingischeaperthantherapy.com. I will also have a link in the show notes to Allison's mini journaling workshop that she holds every Saturday morning at 9 o'clock a.m. Eastern time, and it is called Saturday Pages. So you can sign up with that link in the show notes. I will also have links to Allison's blog and a couple blog articles that I thought were especially encouraging for moms of kids with special needs. And you can find the show notes for this episode at lauriechristine.com forward slash 65. Before you go, I would just like to remind you about the new parenting course offered by Connected Families called Sensitive and Intense Kids. Navigating Parenting Challenges with Purpose and Hope. In the last episode of Redeeming the Chaos, I interviewed Lynn Jackson and Lydia Rex from Connected Families about how to parent our sensitive and intense boys. If you feel stuck in knowing how to deal with unwanted behaviors in your kids, this course is for you. Parenting intense kids can often feel isolating. You feel like you're the only one with kids who are struggling, or maybe you feel ashamed of your kid's behavior. If you have been wondering, why does my child have such big outbursts? Why does life seem so much harder for this child? Why is my child so sensitive? Why do I end up in so many power struggles with this child? If you have asked any of those questions, then this course is for you. Registration for the course is open now, and the moderated course begins on March 6th, 2023, so you still have time to sign up. The moderated course includes seven practical and life-changing video sessions, daily comment moderation and encouragement by a skilled parent coach to answer questions for you, weekly emails with extra encouragement, six live Q&A sessions with Lynn and Lydia, and an ongoing private Facebook community. I have affiliate links for the course in the show notes for this episode. Just go to lauriechristine.com forward slash 65. When you use one of these affiliate links to sign up for the Connected Families Parenting Course, I receive a small commission. If you have been encouraged by my podcasts, blog articles, and newsletter, this is a great way for you to show your support for the show. Thank you so much for joining me for episode 65 of Redeeming the Chaos. 
I'm your host, Laurie Christine. You can find the show notes for this episode at lauriechristine.com forward slash 65.